is Existential, a podcast aimed at reminding you that it's okay to be human. We listen to human stories and human experiences, and we wrestle with issues of justice, faith, and culture. I'm your host, Corey Leak. Thanks for listening. Existential today on the podcast, we have Louisa Duran, who we just call Weeze, um, who I just came in, in contact with on Instagram and like, you know, just really resonate deeply with stuff you be talking about. So Weez, thanks for coming on the podcast. I really appreciate you taking the time. Thanks for having me. I love, I love coming and talking to people. Um, you know what my co-sign for you was? What? The McBride brothers. <laughs> oh, okay. Once yeah, yeah, I yeah. saw I was like, oh, <laughs> Corey knows Mastermind. Okay. Okay, I can rock with him. He's he all right then. He's okay. I was He's like, all right. Okay, all right. I can do this. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, because we were talking off air. You are you are born and raised in the Bay Area. Yep. Bay Area, so, born and bred. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so a lot of us I, here. I am a transplant to the Bay Area. Oh, I know. <laughs> <laughs> so hold on. How do you know? Do you like know? Can you tell by the way a person carries himself, talks, mm-hmm. walks that they're not Bay Area? A hundred percent. Yeah, oh, man. there's just, we, you know, Mac Dre said we dance a little different. We do a lot more than just dance a little different. Like we move a little different. Our intonations around certain words, the slang that we use. It's just, there's something, I like even when I moved to New York, Mm-hmm. Like I'm walking around New York and it's like a radar. I'm like, do 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 do. Like you're from the Bay. And you like walk over the person. You're like, yo, are you from the Bay? And they're like, yeah, I'm from Brooklyn. You're like, me too. You can just tell. There's something about us. I don't know what yeah. it is, but we also always find each other because of that. Dude, you said something too when we were talking before about like um, when you moved to New York, finding your people. Yeah. Because one of the things that really struck me about you, and I'll let you describe like what you said about New York, but okay. it struck me is like you kind of have a New York vibe in the fact yeah. that you like you will be very direct with a smile. <laughs> <laughs> Right. And then like crack a joke and like make myself like laugh and just be in tears laughing. And people are like, um, ma'am, you just said something so wild. And I'm like, yep. And that's the truth. So let's keep going. Um, yes. So it's interesting because when people, so English is my third language. So when people meet me, yeah, it's my third language. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Dang. (laughs) I wish, I wish everyone could see your face right now. (laughs) I mean, no, seriously, like, I, I mean, wow. Third, this is your third language. Correct. Yeah. I transferred to American schools after the fifth grade. So mm. I went to French schools as a child. Um, and so I learned French. Uh, and then I also have the absolute privilege of speaking Dirija, which is what um, mm. we speak in, uh, well, what my tribe mostly speaks in Northwest Africa. Hmm. Um, and then English, because obviously I'm in America. Uh, but so I spent a lot of time trying to like get rid of certain accents on certain words because kids are really mean, especially in America (laughs) around language. But so, but I say that because I've always loved New York, even as a kid. And so I would listen to like a lot of New York hip hop artists and a lot of like, I'd watch a lot of shows based in New York. And so when I was practicing, like, you know, kind of getting, speaking like an American, there were certain like mannerisms and words that I, and like ways of speaking that I picked up that are so New York. Mm. But even aside from that, yeah, when I first moved to New York, I was like, yo, I found my people. Because to your point, 
and you know, I said this before we kind of hopped on and started recording. Um, I don't know who said this originally because it's I think mm-hmm. it's something that's just been said forever. But New Yorkers and New York in general, East Coast, they are not nice, but they are kind. And mm-hmm. the West Coast, specifically Bay Area and LA, are very nice, but they are not kind. Mm. And I'm very much the person that's like, I'm not, I've been told like, I'm not nice. Personally, mm. I say I'm very nice. You just weren't ready for whatever I had to say. And that's okay. <laughs> we could talk about it. But, um, but I'm very kind. So to your mm. point, yeah, I'm going to say something that probably is going to make you feel a kind of way that mm. most people are going to think and they're going to clock in their brain, but they're like, I can't say this out loud. And I'm like, mm. no, I'm going to say it. I'm going to do it. Watch me do it. <laughs> but so, then I'm like, but then I'm going to hold you in it and be kind and like let yeah. you have your humanity. Well, and I see this like the fact you got this little puppy that you run around on Instagram with. Right. Uh-huh. So like, you know, how, how is the puppy, by the way? How's the dog? How's the dog doing? So I, I got a second one. <laughs> <laughs> so they are great. Lola wow. and Knox. Okay. Five months and two and a half months. I figured Lola needed a friend. They're they're wonderful. They're actually asleep behind me. They're great. I was like, mommy has to record now. Please be quiet. Well, and you asked some random people on Instagram, and I messaged you about this. Like, um, you just welcome random people to go hang out with you and your dogs. And I'm like, okay, so again, to this whole, like, kind, <laughs> nice, like, I think we kind of get this whole thing a little twisted, right? Because we don't understand boundaries well. Yeah. And, like, people speaking directly. So when a person is direct. Mm-hmm. When a person is firm, when a person mm-hmm. tells the truth mm-hmm. as they see it, mm-hmm. we only, because of our sort of, I don't know, toxic positivity and niceness, we only know how to see that through the lens of, oh, she's being really mean. Right. Yeah. A hundred percent. I know. You messaged me. You're like, I'm sorry. Are you inviting people to hang out with you? And I was like, well, my dogs need friends. Yes. Like in a very specific parameter, meet me at the dog park. Like, <laughs> Cause I'd rather do that. Cause what's happening now, Corey, if I'm going to be honest, is I go to the dog park and I'm like, Hey, does your dog want to play with my dog? Like, <laughs> so I'm like, I figured this was easier. Like just so that I know there's a dog there for my dog to play with. Um, but yeah, that's a hundred percent right. We have socialized, we've all been socialized to, to interpret, uh, directness to interpret, you know, kind of like a no holds bar, Mm -hmm. very like poignant way of speaking as a lack of niceness, you know, Mm -hmm. or like a dehumanizing or a dehumanization or like a Mm -hmm. meanness an abrasiveness. And I'm like, you actually talk to me. I'm none of those things, but I am very clear and concise in communication and in boundaries. And it really makes people feel all the kind of ways. And then I'm yeah. so unapologetic about it. I'm like, you feel a kind of way? Let's talk about that. Because that's a you thing. But I would like love to talk about that. And then they're like, oh my God, you don't care. I'm like, no, I do. If I didn't, I'd be like, well, hate it for you and would just not respond yeah. to you. Yeah. Yeah, the other day you were speaking of stuff you were talking about. The other day I saw you on Instagram talking about like how you present, Mm -hmm. you know, in terms, you were talking about racial ambiguity. Yeah. You were talking about, I mean, just so, there was so much richness in it. And folks, if you are not following me on Instagram, you should. Um, There was so much richness in you knowing your roots. Mm-hmm. knowing where you're from, knowing who your people are mm-hmm. and sitting in that. And, but could you, I don't even want to ask a question. Could you just like repeat the, some of the stuff you were saying, if you yeah. can remember it? Yeah. So I think you're referring to my, allow me to reintroduce myself. Yes. Yeah. My- yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Cause I think it's really important that people understand, right? There's, and I actually talked about it again a little bit today on IG, but 
you know, when when the social construct of race was created, mm -hmm. it was created in very specific binaries for very specific reasons. And we won't go into the whole like sociological reality of that. Right. But the, the white folks who created the system didn't actually anticipate two things. One is interracial relationships. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Obviously, if y'all don't know history, there were actual laws that right prohibited it. Um, two, because they didn't actually understand science, they held the belief that they could also, quote unquote, purify the race, right? right. Where have we heard that before? <laughs> um, so whether it was by choice or whether it was by, you know, for, forcibly, right? Um, they didn't anticipate spaces in society for folks to either be multiracial, biracial, and end up being quote-unquote ambiguous because it created mm -hmm. racial constructs based on stereotypical monoliths. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So then enter people like me. And to your point, you know, about being very rooted in my identity, I realized recently that I have to name for other folks because sometimes I forget that so many people watch me and listen to me and I'm like, mm -hmm. I'm just saying things. Um, you know, but there's a phenomenal amount of responsibility. And as you know, like you have a podcast, right? Having a podcast, having a voice, saying the thing, um, having followers. And one of the things I haven't done a good job at is naming the fact that in my ambiguity, yes, I have a, I have a strength and I have a confidence in my identity. I'm incredibly privileged to have been able to know and trace my roots back specifically mm. to the tribe in Northwest Africa from which my ancestors and my amazing. lineage come. Yeah. It, right. Like, and I name it as a privilege because whiteness did everything that it could, right, to to rip away the identity and the connection to the motherland for those that are from the African diaspora. If you separate people from their lineage, from their identities, from their customs and cultures and tribal connections, right? If you don't give them a home, then you you can control them. So that was very mm. intentional. And mm. so I'm deeply blessed and deeply privileged to have been able to know that. And then through that, I'm like, okay, well, obviously I'm hella ambiguous. And if you look at my whole family, I always joke. I'm like, we're like the United Colors of Benetton where you're like, I don't know what's happening here. I could kind of see that you're all related. But we have everything from, as you see a lot of times in the African diaspora, like folks that would be considered just like, quote unquote, visibly black to folks that belong on a National Geographic kind of cover where you're like, I, I think you're black, but you have blue eyes. <laughs> and you have naturally blonde hair and I'm very confused, right? To people like me that are like, are you, are you Puerto Rican? And I'm like, no. And they're like, are you sure? No, I'm pretty sure. Are you sure? Oh, yo, I get that all the time. Are you Dominican? No, no. Are you sure? No, I'm, I'm positive. But anyways, that being said, um, it was important for me to name it because it took me a long time to get to this point, right? I am not exempt from what most folks who are racially ambiguous or multiracial, biracial, um, experience, which is the not having a homeness because the system, right, didn't, ex didn't plan for us. Hmm. So you're never enough of something and you're always going to have the whiteness that exists inside of you weaponized. I can't deny I'm fair, like I'm fair skinned. Mm -hmm. I can't deny that whiteness exists in my lineage. I know how it got there. Colonization, imperialism, right? The enslavement mm -hmm. of, of Africans and the human trafficking of, of Africans. I don't know none of them. That was hundreds and hundreds of years ago, but, but it still is in the DNA. And so I'm not exempt from having to have, having that experience. And like, even yesterday, right? Like I talked about it today on IG, like being hurt when people are like, oh, but what are you really? Or denying you your own identity. Yeah, Corey, people are wild. 
And that's not a me thing, but it doesn't mean that it doesn't hurt when people are weaponized that against you. You're like, I didn't want this either. My ancestry, my lineage didn't want this either, but here we are, right? But yeah. the flip side is because I am, right, I do have the academic background of sociology and behavioral science, and this is the work that I do. There's also a phenomenal amount of access and privilege and safety that comes from ambiguity, right? Because mm -hmm. colorism is a thing. Because mm -hmm. when people don't know what to do with you, all they know is this. They're like, okay, I don't know what box to put you in. I know that you're not white. I just don't really know how much I'm supposed to hate you. Mm. Like, I just don't really know how Dang. much I'm supposed to think you're maybe unintelligent or abrasive or, right, fill in all the negative stereotypes that come with melanation. And so in those moments of confusion, right, if you play it right, I call it pimp in the system, if you can navigate it properly, then you actually can create a spaciousness, right? You can create disruption. Mm. You can, you, it's enough of an opening, to, to really push in ways that visibly any race, but especially black folks and, and you know, deeply melanated black folks can't. Mm. And so when I realized that through my own reclamation and my own, like really doing my own research in one, decolonizing the ways in white, in, in which I had been participating in whiteness um, and, and kind of getting back to my roots and doing a really deep, like historical archeological mm. dive into, mm. uh, you know, my ancestry, I was like, oh, there's, there's like something I can, I can use this as like almost like a double agency. Mm. Like I'm going to, y'all did this to, to not just me. Right. But the, I'm, we're talking about me. Yeah, right? Y'all yeah, yeah. yeah. did this to me. Whiteness did this to, to me and my, it, it, so, so many of us, but like, watch me use it against you. Watch mm. me say the things you can't say, watch or say the things mm -hmm. rather that like black folks or, you know, visibly melanated folks can't mm -hmm. say mm -hmm. because I'm safer in that. Watch me use colorism in the way that you've created it to push back and dismantle in ways that other folks can't. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So then, yeah, when people are like, you're so direct, you're so meh, 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 and like, you're mean. I'm like, no, I'm not. I've just made a commitment to liberation of myself. And by way of my own liberation, hopefully liberating others and like mm. the black liberation movement that makes mm -hmm. you uncomfortable. Mm hmm. And then I don't apologize for it. So now you're really uncomfortable. And also, I don't care. It's super interesting to me. I had never, ever in my life thought about the sort of the pigmentation, the skin color, and the amount of trauma that light-skinned Black folks are actually, like, what you're even displaying. Just the, yeah. like, I never even, I mean, we all knew it. It was sort of underneath there you're yeah. like you know okay well you're light-skinned that must mean there's some white folks involved mm -hmm. but like to think back to the time of enslavement here in the united states and how white folks were involved yep. and what that means generation to generation like it's like i'm walking around embodying what you did yep. to my ancestors yep and like so to have so on top of that to have people go look at you and, and go you, you're not black or mm -hmm. Whatever this, the the shit that people say, right, is is like a it's compound trauma. It's not even just like it's not even yeah. just that insult. It's like what's beneath it. Yeah, hundred percent, a hundred percent, right. And and so that that's one of the things that is you'll probably hear me start talking a lot about on social media because if you watch that video, you also know it's a it's twenty twenty one is a whole new mood. <laughs> <laughs> Y'all thought I was mean before. Just wait. Um, you'll hear me talking about that a lot more because that is one of those things that we don't actually require whiteness to be held accountable for. Mm. And, and the ways in which 
we've been traumatized by whiteness and dehumanized by whiteness and oppressed by whiteness hundreds of years later, still being weaponized against us. Mm. Mm. Right. Like I obviously it's 2021. Like I wasn't present for the ways in which whiteness ravaged the, you know, black African and the indigenous body. Mm -hmm. But we are walking manifestations of that. Yes. Yeah. So on both sides against it. Yeah. So, okay. You are an anti-racism educator. Yes. Which means that you do work to help white folks understand the stuff we're talking about right now. Yeah. Like, I know, I know some black folks are like, that's not my work. I'm not doing that. Like, I'm, I'm not like, yeah. I'm not, I'm not leading white people through this, their work, whatever. I want to ask you about that in particular. Mm-hmm. Like, I know there's a lot of white folks that'll be like, well, what does that have to do with me? Like, yeah. you know, white folks hundreds of years ago did all these things and yada, yada, yada. But what does that have to do with me? What do you tell white folks that ask that question? I mean, it's really simple. It might not have anything to do with you. Hell, you're, you're, because my favorite line is, but my family came here through Ellis Island and they were Irish. And when they got here, they weren't considered right, right, but they are now because whiteness has evolved to ensure (laughs) that it insulates itself. So even though you and your family might not have enslaved, right, and, and human trafficked black and Africans and indigenous folks, and maybe you were not part of Jim Crow South and, you know, maybe you never had a Klan's member as a, or clansman as a family member, you are still actively benefiting from the system that they built for themselves mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and now for you. And so every single day that you wake up and you don't choose anti-racism and anti-oppression is the day that you're choosing white supremacist mm-hmm. systems of oppression. Mm-hmm. That is a choice, whether actionably or through complacency. Mm-hmm. And so unfortunately it is your problem because what you're yeah. telling me is you down with the clan. Yeah. It, well, right? yeah. It, Angela yeah. Davis said it is not enough to be right. Like it is not enough to be uh, and like, just like I'm going to mess up her quote, but basically like anti-racist in a, mm-hmm. or not mm-hmm. racist rather in an anti-racist world, we must be actionably anti-racist. Mm-hmm. So you can't just be like, mm-hmm. I'm not racist. That's cute. You literally wake up every single day and choose to be a foot soldier in in the the military mm-hmm. that is white supremacy. Mm. Period. By not opting out. If Correct. you don't opt out of that whiteness, you are by default opting into it because 100%. the world is going to see you and treat you a certain kind of way. A hundred percent. And I think it's really important for people to understand. So I'm an anti-racism educator. I'm also a decolonial anti-oppression educator because mm. what, and I tell white folks this all the time, I educate y'all because I tax you mm. to do this work so that I can do liberation, healing, and decolonial work for black and brown folks for free or for at little to no cost. Mm. That is a choice that I make. And also because if one more Tim Wise or Robin D'Angelo come out with a fucking book or a course, (laughs) and like you can't be the poison in the antidote. Come on. Right? So I got tired of being like, stop paying white people for this. But I'm like, oh, but nobody's giving you another option. Okay. Cool. Well, Mm. I'll do that. I'm going to tax you for the labor and the harm because I also don't think that people understand what it requires of black and brown folks who do anti-racism work to have to constantly be in spaces where they're allowing whiteness to be messy and harmful so it can dismantle itself and that white folks can reconcile their relationship with white supremacy. And you have to sit there and hold yourself, hold your own humanity, 
have to like navigate your own trauma responses and emotional reactivity while you're creating space for their own humanity amidst their whiteness. I want everybody to like, I want everyone to stop and like rewind the tape <laughs> and hear that again. Cause that's that shit right there that like people have to understand about mm-hmm. this is like, because just cause we show up to educate and we're smiling and we're nice and we're laughing and we're even direct. It doesn't mean that we're not like holding back trauma or even tears. I did a yeah. podcast just I did this the last one I just released about like lamenting that I I grew up black and how much I you forget that mm-hmm. when you're around white folks all the time because you start to assimilate to what white folks think is funny. Mm-hmm. How do white folks dress? Mm-hmm. What food do they like to eat? What sports do they like to play? And like it just is so traumatizing. Always and the other thing that drives me crazy. And I don't know about you, but it's like I have folks that will treat this conversation like there's like it's a two-sided debate yeah right so let's make space for the other side and like like it's like like i'm not conversating about the humanity of me my family my kids my grandkids like i'm not having a conversation about our place in the world like i'm just debating like you know two different ideas about how we should live i mean it's it's crazy right is it this is not uh, my favorite is when people now say this is a, you know, this is a political agenda. It only got political because y'all elected a president who was an outright white supremacist bigot who emblazoned and emboldened white supremacist bigots and made it okay and gave them permission. And so the Republican Party got outed for what it has been for quite some time. But this is, to your point, this is not a debate. I'm not debating with you the humanity of black folks and melanated folks in general. I'm not debating this with you. It's very simple. You have a choice. If you choose to debate, you are signaling that you are upholding white supremacist Mm. ideology, or Mm. you can sit down and listen and learn and choose to actionably commit to anti-racism. Those are your choices. One of those choices are going to get you blocked, blessed, and deleted. One of those choices are going to get you invited into community. You get to choose. That's it. Oh, my God. I want to talk about something else because it's Women's History Month, right? And and as I'm thinking about it, right, I, I like... As a dude who enters into this stuff, I, I be honest with you, I feel sometimes I feel like, okay, I don't want to do that thing that white folks do where it's like, you know, oh, it's Black History Month. Let's go find some black people to come and do something, <laughs> right? Um, but I also, at the same time, feel the tension of wanting to honor the space that we're in because I think it's yeah. sacred. I think it's yeah. important. Um, wh- while you were talking, I thought about this term that exists in the world, strong women, mm. right? Strong black women. Like, what does that, and I can see on your face that that adjective struck you, right? So, so what, I, that's precisely why I brought it up. Like, what, what does that adjective do when you hear it to describe women? Yeah, all it does to me, or all it does for me, because I, I can't separate the strong and resilient, those two mm. adjectives that are used. Mm. All it does is serve to remind me that melanated women, specifically black women, are not given space for their humanness, Mm. for their softness, for their emotionality. They're not given space to fall apart. They're not given Mm. space to be imperfect. And that they're constantly weathered by a society, both because, sorry, white feminists, intersectionality, shout out Kimberly Crenshaw, is real. That Mm. their feminine identity and feminine socialization and that their black identity intersect at a point where they constantly have to ignore the most very, like the intimate, vulnerable parts of themselves to be strong, to be Mm. resilient. What if we lived in a world where we didn't always have to be strong, where we didn't always Mm. have to be resilient? That would mean that we were living in a world in which we were not constantly under attack. 
We were not constantly having to guard ourselves and protect ourselves. I don't want to be strong. I don't want to be resilient. And what that means, because it's become so much part of the trope, right, of of what it means to to be a woman, that <laughs> it then then when we do decide to be human, or or show those those softer, more gentle parts of ourselves, either we're too emotional, right? It, it then still gets weaponized against us, like damned if we do, damned if we don't. Or everybody is like, oh my god, is this a ticking time bomb? Are they going to blow up? Right? Like, mm-hmm. I think about it after you know the ancestor George Floyd was murdered. Um, and I was doing my farewell to Facebook because I knew I was about one more flag from getting kicked off, which did then happen June 3rd. Like, I got banned. I'm not on Facebook anymore. I got banned. Uh, oh, yeah. BuzzFeed wrote a whole saw, article about I, it. Yeah I, saw, yeah, I saw the article. Yeah, I, I don't exist that. on Facebook. I can't. I'm not allowed to. Fuck y'all, Facebook. Am I allowed to? Talk? <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> anyways, but it was one of my, like, last farewells to, it was like, I literally called it my farewell to Facebook because I just knew, Right. And I was like, I'm going to just say all the things. I went on there and I was pulling everybody's card. Like people were talking about like Brene Brown and Marie Forleo and all these people. And I was like, they don't give a fuck about black people. Like I went off. Mm. And there was this moment where this black woman and I was like, oh, girl, why'd you do it? I'm like not really reading comments and I just see it, you know, because I'm like keeping it together as I'm like doing the thing that I normally do. And she goes, mind you, this is. We've had, you know, Brianna, God rest her soul. We've had Ahmad, God rest his soul. It was just one after another, just senseless murders, right? Like state-sanctioned lynchings. And the trauma porn that was circling. And then I was just going to say, exactly. And then all the trauma porn that was circling. And right before that, I had done a video on black trauma porn and how we have to stop. And, you know, the problem with with Talcum X. And that's why I call Sean King. And, like, (laughs) all the other things. And so, and it was just, you know, there's always that moment where, like, there's somebody like if we were in in real life and like a black woman had caught your eye from across the room and is like the like you good mm-hmm. but she wrote it out and she's like but sis how's your heart mm-hmm. Woo! i just started sobbing i was like god damn why why did you like what right but i'm bringing this up because in that moment like two very interesting interesting things happened one all the white people in the comments because i was like oh i just need a moment Cause like my heart is not okay. My soul is not okay. Like I'm, I'm hurting, right? Like a community is hurting. Like we're holding people together. You know, we're asking questions around like how do we're protesting? How do we keep ourselves safe? My thought is always, cause you know, and I was in Ferguson, which is actually how I know Pastor Mike and, mm, and the okay. McBrides. Okay. Okay. Uh, I mean, I know them from here, but then obviously that bonds you in yeah. a way and whatever. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm constantly thinking about how does my racial ambiguity and my light skinness provide safety in those spaces? And, and mm. how do I use my body in those spaces? And I was just like, Ooh, you had to ask me that in front of all these people. And so I was like, okay, I need a minute. And I came back. But like, when I'm reading all of this, it's like all the white folk, all of a sudden it's like this oh my god the end of the world like she's showing us her humanness and she's crying and then of course all the like black folks and like melanated folks are like you know like in church they're like take your time girl (laughs) let them use you let them use you (laughs) right exactly (laughs) and then after that all the comments were from white folks were like you're so strong you're so resilient Mm. to have continued like talking about the thing and blah 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 and like all the black folks and melanated folks were it was like what do you need? Are you good? Like, what can we do for you? That like that community love kind of understanding. And it was in that moment that I was like, it literally is where I had that shift. And I was like, 
I don't want to have to be strong. I don't want to have to be resilient. I want to be able to show up on an IG live or real life or Facebook live and, and show you the hurt and the humanness and, and not have it have to become a whole separate thing. Mm. Right. And like, not now it means something to all these people that witnessed it or saw it. And like, they've coded it as a thing. Like, how about instead of, Oh my God, you're so strong and you're so resilient. Like, thank you for sharing your humanness with us. Mm. Thank you for, for sharing, you know, your emotionality with us. Thank you for allowing us to witness you in your humanness. Like, what if we changed the narrative and allowed women and specifically melanated women, and most specifically black women, the space to just be honored in those glimpses of their humanness? Yeah. How different of a world would we live in? Yeah. A, a world where you didn't have to perform, where you just got to show up in the world and just be a human right. being. Right. And you didn't have to put on this strong front or this, this, this idea that nothing bothers you, mm -hmm. this you know, this, this strength. And, and I, I think, God, like the way you painted the picture in that story of how the white women showed up or white people showed up in that space. It was mostly white women. Let's yeah. just name it. <laughs> it is what it is. But like <laughs> that, like, I don't even know that a lot of folks would even recognize or have known that they were feeding into a narrative that you're not human. Yeah. Like, it's 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 what drove slavery that 100%. they thought we were superhuman. They thought they thought they, they, they convinced themselves and kept telling the story and over and over again. It didn't hurt us. We didn't feel pain. We could mm -hmm. work longer. All of these things about about us that were like dehumanizing. Yeah. And then when we show up emotional now in 2020, 21, 2019, whatever, whenever we showed up emotional because of yeah. all the trauma, people are going, you know, thanks for being strong. Yeah. <laughs> And it's like, how about you stop putting me in situations where I have to be? Right. How about you, you stop only recognizing me when you, when you think I'm being superhuman, right? Mm. This is this phrase that I started using on Instagram so that white folks really understood, like, I'm actually operating for, in service of walking my path in purpose for black and brown folk, for melanated folks, right? For that mm. liberation movement. And if you hold white or white passing identity and you are learning things, outside of like actually enrolling in my courses, you're welcome. That's a gift, mm. right? Mm. But I ain't caping for y'all. Mm. And obviously a lot of them were like, well, I don't understand. And I was like, <laughs> go Google it. Urban Dictionary, bro. Like, leave me alone. <laughs> but like this, this is really where that was born from for me. Like I had a major shift last year around all of this. Like, I'm not caping for y'all. Like, no, I'm just not. Mm. Right. Mm -hmm. I'm gonna take all of February off. Y'all are not going to see me on Instagram because I'm not here. I don't exist for you to consume. I don't exist for you, you know, to, to save you, to be strong and resilient for you. Like I don't even exist to educate you. Mm -hmm. You are mm -hmm. getting education as a happy default of my commitment to the liberation of black and brown folks. You're welcome. Dang. That is such a great reframing of anti-racism mm -hmm. work. Um, because it uh, it 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 decenters whiteness, yep. and that's been the thing that's been hard for even a lot of us the black folks that think about okay, I'm putting this work out, I'm putting this content out. White folks are consuming it. We're helping white folks. How do I how do I decenter that right? But to say that I'm doing it for the liberation of black folks that this is not an end. Like I'm not yeah. the the end goal is not oh white people know more about racism and 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 their history and their own history. 
Right. <laughs> but, yeah. But that it is ultimately, as you keep saying, which I love because it's what the podcast is about, is a, of the kind of world that we can imagine mm-hmm. where people are actually free. Yep. Yeah. A hundred percent. I think, I think that's something that's also been really hard for white folks to grasp because then they're, they're confronted with the fact that for the first time there's like, I'm actually the secondary thought, Mm. right? Like you mean this isn't primarily for me? Like I, I'm the, the secondary, like it's a default. It's a consequence of a thing. Like it's a good Mm. consequence, but yeah, actually I don't prioritize you. That's Mm. really hard for white folks to grasp. If you ever pay attention to my comments too, when white folks are like taking up too much space, like, or not following directions of what I, like I just literally the other day was like, melanated folks, tag black healing and transformational Senate accounts. And white folks basically started playing the like name a black person. Oh my God. Right. And my response is simply, did you read the caption? And is this account rooted in the healing and, and transformational like process of black folks. Oh, well, I didn't really read it. Right. I know you didn't. (laughs) Right. And granted, like I've lost 700 followers in last week, which I think is the most beautiful thing. I'm like, bye. Toodle. Toodaloo. I didn't really want you here anyways, make space for other things. But I say that because I'm having this really like interesting experience of like watching post great white awakening all it's like i've been saying this forever cuz i've been doing this work actually since i was in high school in different iterations mm. and i've never changed my focus i've always decentered whiteness well once i went through my own decolonial process mm-hmm. like i've mm-hmm. decentered whiteness mm-hmm. all of that but now that the dust has settled around the great white awakening and like robinette is in office that's biden's middle name if you didn't know and so i his mama named him robinette i'm gonna call him robinette <laughs> So Robinette is in office, you know, they think we got a, a black woman, biracial black woman is VP. So that means something because racism is a dead. So all of a sudden they're like, wait, why are you still talking about me? Why? Are, wait, why? Uh, this isn't fixed. I'm uncomfortable. Wait, hold me. Coddle me. Placate me. Wait, I don't understand boundaries. No, no, don't. Like they're having a really hard time with it. A really hard time. And then I talk about it like this and they're like, oh, I'm offended. But the beautiful thing that is happening is that now black folk, brown folk, indigenous folks are like stepping forward. There's space Mm. created for us to step forward Mm -hmm. and say, we get to lead these conversations. These Mm. get to be our experiences. We get to take up space. Y'all are only here because we allow you to be. You're welcome. It's a gift. Yeah. Yeah. I, I had this question. I don't know why it just kind of popped up while you were talking, and I'm I'm wrestling with it internally myself. Actually, I don't think I am. I think I know the answer. Um, <laughs> do you trust white people? No, I say it all the time. I have an inherent distrust for white people, and I think that every person that holds a melanated identity does as well. Look, you are on trial until I know what kind of white person you are. I'm sorry, you are. And I think it's so it's it's so funny because like. When you, when you, when the question first rises, you start thinking about, and that this is kind of where, where I probably even recognize just now in myself where I'm still decolonizing because there's something about whiteness that makes things like very specific. It's about like this individual moment. So you'll say, uh, when we talk about defunding the police, they'll go, well, not all police are bad, you know? But so I think that like thinking about it sort of on a micro level, like my white friends, 
They're like, you know, and, and if they're like, well, what do you mean you don't trust me? But like just thinking, but when you think about it from the macro level, if you are a person of color, you're like, why the hell would I ever trust white people? Never. Like, I mean, and like you said, until you show me, I'm, I'm right now the same way about Christians. Mm-hmm. Like, and that's yep. the tribe I come from and still associate with. Got a lot of Christian yep. folks that like I'm still around. I still consider myself to be a Christian. Yep. But until I know what kind, <laughs> like what kind of Christianity are you talking about? I'm like, I don't know, bro. I don't, I don't know if I can, if I can really rock with you like that. Yeah. Because so much harm. It's not just like, it's not just about being nice or kind. It's about protect protection and harm and trauma. Yep. hundred percent. A hundred percent. Yeah, I know. I always ask people, I'm like, so are you Christian or do you follow Jesus's teachings? And they're like, I don't understand. And I'm like, well, you just let me know where you stand. Right. I'm like, are you going to weaponize scripture against me? Or are you going to use it as a way to navigate life and like embrace people and community and humanity? Like, which one is it? It's and the same thing with whiteness. Black. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Right. Like if I have hundreds of thousands of years of historical evidence that you don't know how to act <laughs> and that people die when you decide that you're going to have a meltdown or go to jail or whatever, and that you are going to continue to use institutions to ensure that you are structurally quote unquote benefited and superior. Yeah. I'm sorry. I like to, I would like to stay alive and I would like to be able to pay my bills. So I'm going to have to default to you either are actionably holding up the system. Mm. You are unknowingly holding up the system by choosing complacency because you're still a problem mm-hmm. or you're subtly and quietly holding it up. So you're, you know, you're voting Robinette Harris and you got the sign in your front lawn, but you're clutching your pearls red quietly at home. I'm going to have to assume you're one of those versions and none of them are safe, regardless of what it is. Yeah, exactly. Until and, you yeah. prove to me that you're a person who happens to be white. Yeah, and, and that you, takes time yeah. and energy and being put into very specific situations so that I can see how you operate. Yeah. Yeah. It's, that's us knowing history. And right. and there's something to that. I said it a couple of years ago that it, it struck me that like white folks want us to trust them to define racism. <laughs> like when in the history of the United States have white folks as a whole being like, oh yeah, that's racist. Like it's, it's never like they've never. never. They're all the 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 slave owners didn't think that they were racist. The people executing the Jim Crow laws didn't think they were racist. Mm-hmm. People like they. There's never been a time where like people who clutch and hold to whiteness have gone. You know. You know what? We're really we're really really awful to those people over there. You know. You know. We've got, maybe we're really really mean to those folks. Like they've yeah. never come to that place. But now mm-hmm. we're supposed to be like. Oh, you guys tell us what's racist because because we don't know. Right, right. And and then go educate each other on it. Like whiteness can't see outside of itself. You don't know what mm. you're doing. Mm. That's why you play the phone a black friend game. That's why you, you know what I mean? Like that's why you lean on black folks for free emotional labor because you don't know what you're doing. See. Period. But, but again, because of the constructs of whiteness, you think that white is right, and you think that whatever you decide is shall be, and then we're supposed to trust you. Every time we trust you, we end up dead, enslaved, with no rights, limited accessibility, poor health care, like Tuskegee experiment, birth control. Like, I could go on and on and on, right? I'd love, I'd love 
to get to a point, right? To get to the world where we can just truly trust a person Mm. based on who they show us that they are. But the unfortunate reality is that to your point around pain, trauma, and harm, I have to default to until you prove to me that you know better and that you can do better, shout out Dr. Maya Angelou, (laughs) I'm going to have to assume that you are going to uphold white supremacy in ways that causes pain, harm, and trauma. And Mm. that then when I name it, you're going to be like, whoa, meltdown, call the cops. (laughs) And we see how that goes. Also, I just want to say, because I'm so tired of people saying this, we have to get to a point where we stop trying to use individual examples to excuse an entire institution. Also, only whiteness and the privilege of whiteness allows for individuality because everybody else is monolithic in their identities. And so when we say things like, "Mm, but there are some good cops. Yeah, I know some of them. I've interviewed some of them. My play brother is is a retired cop, black cop Mm. in Atlanta. Mm. And he'll tell you the same thing. The entire institution is the problem. And if the institution is rotten, having a few good apples on a rotten tree doesn't make the tree not rotten. And guess what? People are still being murdered in the streets. Yeah. So when that stops happening, I'll give a damn about the good cops. Yeah. And now they got like robot drone dogs roaming the streets. Listen. So, 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 but you know, that's, that's a podcast for another day. We, I am so grateful that you came on. Like this was like, I mean, so dope, so natural. I'm so, so, so blessed, inspired all the things by you being here. Can you tell us? what you're up to, how we can stay connected to you. Like, just just take us home, and then I'm going to bring the music in and do, do that. All right. Outro. I got you. Um, yeah, so I actually am making some really big shifts in 2021, um, really around truly centering the healing and the experiences and the voices of the melanated and specifically Black folks, um, and protecting my peace, because whiteness mm. don't know how to act. Uh, so follow me on Instagram. That is the only social media that I exist on. Um, and subscribe to my newsletter because Instagram is a hater and they like to shadow ban us when we tell the truth and when we educate rooted in truth. Um, and so I've decided that a lot of the free education that I was doing on Instagram is going to only exist via people's email inboxes. Um, so follow me on IG, subscribe to the newsletter, and then join me in community on Podia. It's cheap as five. It starts at $5, right? So there's options from $5 all the way to a hundred for tons and tons and tons of education and community building. Um, that's really how I like to operate right now. And then of course I do like workshops and pop-ups and courses, but if you're subscribed to the newsletter, you would know that. So, (laughs) so yeah, that's, that's where people can find me and stay tuned in and, and really start to build community with me. Super dope. I'll make sure all those links are in, in the show notes so you guys Perfect. can check that out and connect with Weez. Weez, thanks so much. You are very welcome. I'm so honored to have been here. Thank you. Folks, that was uh, an amazing conversation. Hope you're paying attention. You, if you were driving, listen to it again when you get home so you can write some notes down because it was just like there was so much gold in there. Thank you to all of you who have rated and reviewed the podcast, all of you who have subscribed to it, told your mom and him about it. Thank you so much for all of you and thanks for helping us for to. Thanks for helping us to contend for a better world, one conversation at a time.